Good morning, everybody. It's great to be with you again as we continue our series in the book of Genesis and the theme of walking by faith. This week, our focus shifts from Isaac to Jacob, Isaac's son. And Jacob, I think, is one of the most fascinating characters in the Bible. And his life is a bit like a soap opera. Uh, it's full of love and betrayal. There's success and failure. Uh, there's a, a very dysfunctional family, like many soap operas have. Uh, he's a very fascinating character. And one thing that his character, I think, shows us about us, about human beings, is that we're all schemers. Jacob is a schemer, and all of us, in some way, are schemers. Uh, you just have to uh, watch a film or a TV program, read a, a, a novel or a play, and you see people scheming. Uh, if you've ever seen an episode of The Apprentice, you'll see people scheming for success. Or at the other end of the cultural spectrum, if you've watched a Shakespeare play, then uh, you'll see people scheming for power for reputation, for love, for money. You see it in business, in politics, in sport, in education, in family life. People scheming. And what we're doing when we're scheming is that we're trying to maneuver ourselves into a position where we can get something. Something that we don't yet have that we really want. We could generalize that and call it blessing. We want blessing. The blessing might look like success or money or power or fame, wherever it is, but something that will enhance our lives, something that we don't yet have, that we really want. And, and often what people do to get that thing, to get that blessing, wherever it might be, is they trample on other people to get there. Uh, people might crush others' dreams so that theirs can be realised. They might destroy other people's reputations so that theirs can be advanced. They might steal other people's joy so they can be happy or make others poor so they can be rich. You see, in our scheming, it often comes at a cost. It comes at a cost to other people at times, but also it can come at a cost to ourselves as well. Now, the poet Sir Walter Scott famously wrote, Oh, what a tangled web we weave when first we practice to deceive. Oh, what a tangled web we weave when first we practice to deceive. That's often what we do when we're scheming. We deceive others. That's what we see Jacob doing. He deceives as he schemes, but he also gets himself into trouble as we'll see later on. He gets himself tangled in his own web of deceit because scheming comes at a cost. But what we'll also see from this, uh, this first part of Jacob's life is that over and above the scheming of men, we see the sovereignty of God, that God is sovereign in who he gives his blessing to. Human beings might scheme their way to some kind of blessing for themselves, but ultimately it is God who decides who is blessed. And God gives his blessing 
regardless of human effort and human merit. So we're going to see how this truth is played out in two episodes of Jacob's life, two acts. Now, act one will be from Genesis 25, which Chris read for us earlier. And act two will be from Genesis 27. Uh, so let's start with act one. And act one deals with the birthright, the birthright of uh, Jacob's family that he schemes to get for himself. Now, to understand the story of Jacob and Esau, we've got to go right back to even before they were born, to when they were in their mother's womb, their mother Rebecca. And uh, we, we touched on this last week with Isaac's story. Uh, but in Rebecca's womb, there is this battle going on between her twin sons, Jacob and Esau. And because of this, this battle, because of this, uh, this tussle between the, the two babies in the womb, it, it distresses Rebecca, it causes her pain, and she cries out to the Lord, what's going on? What's happening? And the Lord gives her the answer. The Lord tells her that in her womb, there are not just two babies, but two nations, two separate people groups. And of these two people groups, one will serve the other. One will be stronger than the other. And the older will serve the younger. So the blueprint for these two babies' lives are being set out even before they're born. God has already decided what's going to happen to them. And crucially, he has decided that the, the normal scheme of things is going to be turned upside down. So rather than the younger serving the older, as what would normally happen, the older is going to serve the younger. The weaker twin, the younger twin, will turn out to be more powerful than the older twin. The Lord has already shown favour to Jacob, the, the younger twin, the weaker one over the older and stronger one, Esau. And that's before either of them have taken a breath in this world, before they've had a chance to do anything right or wrong, before their characters have formed. God has already decided how their lives are going to pan out. This teaches us that God is sovereign in his blessing. And God's choice often subverts our expectations. We would expect the older one to be blessed. Certainly uh, in those times, uh, the, the birthright would automatically go to the older child. But now it's going to be the younger one who's going to be blessed rather than the older one. God gives his gifts, his blessing to those that we don't expect him to. He gives his blessing to the undeserving. Now, the Apostle Paul picks up on this and he uses this as an illustration in Romans chapter 9 to illustrate how God is sovereign in salvation. Now, the words are on the screen there. It says, Rebecca's children were conceived at the same time by our father Isaac. Yet before the twins were born or had done anything good or bad, in order that God's purpose in election might stand, not by works, but by him who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger. 
just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. The point that Paul's making here is that God doesn't wait to see who is going to believe in him or not. He doesn't choose us because he knows that at some point in the future we'll believe in him. He chooses us before we believe. He chooses us so that we believe. So the divine choice comes before the human action. That quote from Malachi in Romans 9 that talks about God loving Jacob but hating Esau. That, that sounds quite extreme, doesn't it? That God would love one but hate another. Well, those terms, love and hate, are being used in a relative way, uh, just to show us how God is choosing to bless one and to withhold that blessing from the other. He chooses to bless Jacob and Jacob's people, the Israelites, and he withholds that blessing from Esau and Esau's people, the Edomites. Now, to some of us, that might come as a shock. The very fact that God would choose some and choose to bless some but not others might come as, as a surprise to us. We might even find it offensive. Why would God do that? And in fact, Paul even asks the question in Romans 9 that we might be thinking right now. Well, isn't that unjust? for God to, to make a choice before we've had a chance to do anything ourselves, before Jacob or, or Esau had a chance to, to kind of prove themselves, that God would choose one and not the other. Isn't that unjust? Well, the answer that Paul gives in Romans 9 is, is no, not at all. If God is sovereign in whom he decides to show mercy, and compassion to and that choice does not depend on human actions that's the way that God has decided to work in fact the question that we should really be asking is not why does God bless some and not others but why does God bless anybody because none of us deserve it now I think this is is probably very alien to us it's certainly alien to our society in the West, because we live in what we like to think is a meritocracy. So if you do something good, if you're good at something, then we expect to be rewarded for it, don't we? If somebody does well at school, we expect that whatever background they're from, whatever start they have, if, if they are good at something, that, that they will be blessed and rewarded for that skill, for that talent. They'll have an opportunity uh, to, to grow in that. But God's blessing comes regardless of human effort and human merit. And he does that to make known the riches of his glory and his grace. He does it to show us that our salvation is not about us. It's all about God. It's all about what God has done. It's not about what we do. Our natural reaction to this as human beings 
might well be to, to push back against it. We might not like this truth of, of God's sovereignty in choosing some but not others. Because what it does is it, it humbles us and it exalts God. It takes control away from us and it gives it to God. It makes really clear that we are not the masters of our own destiny. Ultimately, God has made the, the most important choice already about us. Now, we might also say that, well, I don't think that's how God acts. I don't think that's how God should act. It just doesn't seem fair that God would act that way. Well, Paul has an answer to that response as well. He says, well, who are you to question how God works? You're a human being. How can you talk back to God? It's like clay having an argument with the potter. The clay says to the potter, why did you make me into a bowl? I wanted to be a vase. But that's ridiculous, isn't it? How can clay talk back to the potter? The clay exists to be done with it as the potter sees fit. It's the potter who makes the choice, not the clay. Others over the years have tried to make the, the doctrine, the truth of God's sovereignty, a bit easier to swallow by watering it down, weakening it. But as we weaken the sovereignty of God, we weaken God. And what some people want is a God that we can domesticate. A God that we can fit into a nice neat box. A God who meets all of our expectations and who acts in the way that we think he should act. But the Bible makes clear, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, that God, the, the true God, the God who's revealing himself in the Bible, is too big and too powerful to domesticate. You see, when we encounter God, it's like we're encountering a lion. And lions are wild. Lions are not tame. And if you were to meet a lion in the wild, you will not be the one dictating terms to the lion. It'll be the lion who's in control of that situation. If the lion starts growling, then you'll get out of there as soon as possible. You don't tell the lion what to do because the lion is more powerful. The lion is bigger than you. And it's the lion who dictates that situation. Our God is a lion. But so many people want to make God in, into a house cat rather than a lion. Because lions are wild and dangerous. House cats are, well, they're domesticated, aren't they? And what we often want to do, our, our instinct often as human beings, is to bring God down to our level and to make him do the things that we think he should do and say the things that we think he should say. But God just doesn't work like that. He's, he's too big and too powerful to be limited by our expectations. And what we also want as well is we want to believe that our scheming and our actions achieve something. 
if I do something, then I'm going to get something from that. And that is true to a certain degree in the world that we live in. But ultimately, our blessing, our eternal blessing, the blessing that counts, comes from God. But we don't like to think that because we, we want to get blessing for ourselves. Otherwise, what's the point? What's the point of all our activity? What's the point of all our, our work and endeavour? If ultimately it is God who decides who is blessed. If God chooses who he gives his blessing to. Now, we've got to keep this in mind as we see what happens to Esau and Jacob later in life. We've got to keep in mind the fact that God has already made the choice about who will be blessed, Jacob or Esau. Uh, we, we saw in our reading that uh, when they grow up, Esau, who is the outdoors type, he is the man of the open country. Uh, he comes in one day from hunting and he sees that Jacob, who's the home bird, he, he's in the tent cooking and he smells the cooking. Uh, Esau, and he is famished. And he says, give me some of that stew that you're making. But Jacob is a schemer and he's a quick thinker. And so he says, well, before I give you this stew, sell me your birthright first. Now, Esau isn't thinking about his birthright at the moment. Esau isn't thinking about the future, about what he'll inherit. All Esau is thinking about is the here and now. He's thinking about his stomach. Well, what use is a birthright if I die of hunger? And so Esau trades future blessing for a bowl of stew. And it says that he despises his birthrights. He was so caught up in the moment, in the here and now. He was so caught up in what he craved that he forgot about the future. That became more important than the future inheritance that he was going to receive. And we have to remember that this wasn't just any inheritance. This was the inheritance that had been passed on from Abraham to Isaac. And Esau would have been next in line for that. This was the, the blessing and the promises that God had given to Abraham. The, the, the blessing and the promises of becoming a great nation. Of having a, a land of, of their own to possess. Uh, the blessing of not only being blessed by God, but then being a blessing to the whole world. Esau trades all of that for a bowl of stew. And Esau is a lesson to us of the dangers of gratifying our desires now and forgetting about the future, forgetting that there is an eternity stretching out before us. And that what we do now affects what happens to us in that eternity. Esau is just thinking about now. He forgets the future and he, he despises his future blessing, his birthright and his inheritance. 
How long did that bowl of stew last? A few minutes, maybe, and then he's gone. Was it worth it? No. Did he regret it? Yes. So don't be like Esau. But also don't be like Jacob either. You see, the ironic thing about this whole story is that Jacob already has the very thing that he is scheming to get. Jacob is scheming for the birthright, but he already has the birthright. He's already been chosen by God to be in the position of the firstborn son, even though he's not the firstborn. He's already been chosen to receive the blessing of the firstborn. So he didn't have to scheme. He didn't have to deceive his brother. He already had what he was trying to get. But that's the thing. Jacob isn't trusting in what God can give him. He's trying to get it himself. Now, we might be able to give Jacob the benefit of the doubt here. And we might be able to say, well, perhaps Jacob didn't know about the prophecy that Rebecca was given way back when her babies were in the womb, even before Jacob and Esau were born. Maybe Jacob didn't know that the birthright was ultimately his, that his older brother would serve him. Maybe Rebecca hadn't shared that information. But what we certainly can't do is, is to excuse Rebecca. Uh, Rebecca knows what God has planned. Rebecca knows God's choice. But as we're going to see in the next act, Rebecca also schemes. And so we're going to look now at uh, Act 2 of Jacob's story. And this deals with the blessing. Isaac is an old man by this time. And he wants to get his affairs in order. So he calls his eldest and his favourite son, Esau, to go and hunt uh, some wild game and to make some of the tasty food that he so enjoys. And the purpose of that is so that Isaac can give Esau his blessing. So as far as Isaac is concerned, the line of blessing that began with Abraham and was passed on to Isaac, is now going to continue with Esau. But God has other plans. And Rebecca knows that God has other plans. So what does she do? Knowing what she knows about God's choice, is she going to trust God? And whatever Isaac intends to do, she's going to trust that God is going to work out his purposes for these two boys? Or will she try and do things herself? Will she scheme just as her son had schemed in the previous act? Well, uh, we know that Rebecca chooses to scheme instead of trust. She thinks, well, God's plan is under threat. So I've got to do something to uh, to put that right I, i've got to come up with my own plan how many times have we done that that it, it looks like you know what god is promised to do for us is, is going to fail so we think well i've got to come up with my own plans and we scheme rather than trust well this is what rebecca's doing she prepares a meal 
and she tells Jacob uh, to serve the meal to his father, dressed in Jacob's clothes and uh, covered with, with goat skins because Jacob is a smooth man, smooth skinned, but uh, Esau is hairy. So Jacob, to pretend to be his brother, has got to dress up um, in Esau's clothes and kind of put the, these hairy garments on. And so Jacob kind of jumps the queue to get the blessing that Isaac intends to give to Esau. And the plan works because Isaac is blind. Even though he hears Jacob's voice, what he touches and smells is Esau as far as he is concerned. So Jacob brazenly lies his way to blessing. He pretends to be his brother. He deceives his father. He's even asked a direct question by Isaac. Are you really my son Esau? And, and Jacob lies through his teeth. Yes, I am. Oh, what a tangled web we weave when first we practice to deceive. Jacob gets the blessing, but it comes at a cost. He's created this tangled web that he himself gets trapped in because we see right at the end of Genesis 27 that Esau is now out to get Jacob. Esau finds out what Jacob has done and Esau wants to kill him. So Jacob has got tangled up in this web and, and he's going to suffer for it uh, for, for the next couple of decades. But here's the point that we need to understand. We need to understand that despite all this human activity and human scheming, what God has said would happen has happened. God's purposes have been completed, have been fulfilled. Because God is sovereign. In fact, God's purposes are being brought about through the sinful actions of human beings. Because whatever human beings try to do, God's purposes will be accomplished. Now, this raises a, another question in our minds, or at least it should do. Well, does that mean then that our actions as human beings ultimately mean nothing? If, if what is going to happen is what God has planned to happen anyway, then do my actions ultimately have any real meaning? Well, the answer is, is yes, our actions do matter. And we see this um, in the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12. Um, Esau is mentioned a couple of times in the New Testament. The first is in Romans 9, but also here in Hebrews 12, where he's held up for us as an example, an example for us not to follow. Now, the writer says, see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and to defile many. See that none is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterwards, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected 
even though he sought the blessing with tears, he could not change what he had done. This tells us that what we do does matter. We, we could say that from one point of view, Esau didn't get the birthright and the blessing because God had decided to bless Jacob and not him. But on the other hand, Esau didn't get the blessing because he was godless, because he wasn't thinking about things above. He was thinking about things below. He was thinking about his stomach. So two things that we see here, God's sovereignty and human actions are both true. And the one does not contradict the other. Our actions don't contradict God's sovereignty. And the thing about our actions is that we'll be called to account for what we have done. Even though God is sovereign, our actions still matter. And they have eternal consequences. Without the protection of Jesus Christ, the fact that our actions will be called to account is a scary prospect. It says in another part of Hebrews, in Hebrews 10, it's a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Because ultimately, your schemes will not bring you blessing. Your scheming will bring you judgment. If you're not found in Christ, if you're not protected by Christ, then you'll experience God's judgment for your actions. You'll have to give account to him for your actions one day. It's only through Christ that we can be protected, but it's also only through Christ that we can receive God's blessing. And you can't maneuver yourself into that position of blessing. You, you can't bargain with God. You, you can't, by your own efforts, get God's blessing for yourself. You have to let God do that. You have to stop your scheming and trust in Jesus to rescue you from that tangled web of sin and lies and deceit that you've got yourself caught up in. We have to trust that, that, that Jesus, by his grace, will lift us out of the position that we're in and, and, and to put us into a new position, into a new place, that he'll raise us up with himself. And he'll raise us up to a position of blessing, that he'll seat us with him at the right hand of God, where we can receive all the spiritual blessings that God wants to pour out upon us in Christ. You know, Jesus was the only man who has ever lived who deserved God's blessing. And Jesus didn't scheme his way to God's blessing. It was his by right. And yet Jesus chose to leave the position of blessing to come to this world, to come into a world full of schemers and sinners. And through the scheming of men, he ended up on a cross. He died because of the actions of 
sinful human beings. And even then, when he was being led to the cross and nailed to that cross, he did not sin. He did not scheme. It says in 1 Peter that he committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled insults at him, <clears throat> he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Unlike uh, Jacob and Rebecca, Jesus trusted in God. He trusted God to do what was right in his life. He trusted in God's sovereign plan. And he didn't try to, to, to scheme his way out of, of what was happening. He didn't try to scheme his way into a better position. But he embraced God's purposes for his life. And he calls us to follow in his steps. He bore the judgment for our sins so that we could die to sin. We could die to our scheming and live instead for righteousness. So that we could live not for what we can get for ourselves, but for what God can give us in Christ. His perfect righteousness. If you've come to Christ by faith then you're no longer a schemer. You no longer have to get for yourself what you don't already have because you've already been given every spiritual blessing in Christ. You've already been given the righteousness of God. There's nothing else for you to get. You have all that you need in Christ. You know, once we were like lost sheep, once we were uh, trying to look here and there for substance, and for security and satisfaction in our lives. But we've stopped wondering if we belong to Jesus. We've returned to the shepherd of our souls. And only our shepherd can give us what we're ultimately scheming for. Only our shepherd can give us that eternal blessing. That's the lesson that Jacob needed to learn. Jacob needed to stop scheming. And trust God to give him blessing. And, and he is going to learn that lesson. And we'll, we'll see that in the coming weeks. But we need to learn that lesson as well. We need to learn that we don't need to manoeuvre ourselves into a position where we can get blessing. We need to trust that we've already been placed into that position by God. If we're trusting in Christ. So you don't need to scheme anymore. You just need to trust. Let's pray together. And let's respond in faith to uh, God's sovereignty and what he promises to give us in Christ. Our Father, we do confess our scheming. We confess that uh, at times, we think it's down to us to get those things that we think that we need, those things that we desire. 
it might be uh, success, it might be security, it might be uh, some kind of uh, uh, blessing that we just we, we, we yearn for and we feel that we don't have it and so we want to, to do all that we can to get it. Thank you, Father, that we, we don't need to do that, that we, that we can trust you to do what is right. We can trust in your sovereign plans and purposes for our lives. Lord, help us to learn that lesson. And as we do so, help us to respond to you with, with joyful worship and adoration as, as we realise that your love and your blessing and your salvation comes to us, not because we deserve it, but because you have graciously and mercifully chosen us to receive that blessing. How marvellous, how wonderful is our Saviour's love for us, a love that we don't deserve, but a love that you pour out upon us through Jesus. And we thank you and we praise you in his name. Amen.